Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Hello, everybody. We get to learn Torah on Rosh Chodesh. You want light for the Okay. Okay, so it's Rosh Chodesh Shvat and Baruch Hashem. It's uh, the sap is starting to rise in the tree, which means that there's hope for the summer. <laughs> so we've been talking about hakpada, which we all know the definition is internalized anger and resentment, which is characterized by a kind of passive-aggressive type of anger. And it tends to be a type of anger where we may hold it inside of us and where it just festers and is toxic to ourselves, to our bodies medically, and to our neshamas spiritually. And the reason that we we are working on this mida of, of getting rid of it to the point that there's not a speck of it in us, like we said, the Bali Musr say, say that this is a mida that you have to get rid of the way you get rid of chametz. Okay. Sorry, yeah, just like that. The way you have to get rid of chametz before Pesach. Because, as they say, they've looked from it, at it from all sides and they haven't found anything good about it. And we were talking about different tools that we've, we are going to try, or we have been, I hope all of you have some, I was thinking if you could share anything, if anybody has any stories where they were able to bring to mind one of the tools that we've been discussing, if you found that it's a little bit more on your conscious brain than back in the you know recesses of our subconscious. Um, I don't know, I find for myself just by teaching the class, I'm just a little bit more aware of my feelings that I'm feeling and, you know, just thinking about what I can do with them. And like we said, our primary feelings that we feel, you know, anger, upset, jealousy, desire for revenge, you know, stinginess, all of the negative traits Hashem doesn't judge us for those things. Those are called our primary responses. Those are just what makes us human. But what we are, right? <laughs> but we, what we are responsible so for... I don't have to cancel that contract on that? Right. <laughs> we are responsible for trying to work to take that primary response and have a better secondary response and not wallow in the feelings or not wallow in the guilt that might come with the feelings or the I need to beat myself up because I should be better than this kind of womanly type of feelings, but rather to try and find tools to deal with them. So we've talked about different tools. We talked about, first of all, the tool of Vitor, which is internal resolution. It's a, it's a, um, it's something that takes place in the courtrooms of your mind where you just decide that, you know what, maybe I didn't know the whole picture. Maybe the person didn't mean what they said. Perhaps, uh, you know, I should judge them favorably because wouldn't I want other people to judge me favorably? And again, that, that uh, klal idea, which is that basically Hashem looks at us and judges us in the exact same way that we will judge another person. So if we are very muckpeed on other people, Hashem will mita keneged mita, 
look at us the same way. Whereas if we are able to forgive and forget and move on and give the person the benefit of the doubt, right, and zoom out rather than zoom in or all the other things we discussed, then, you know, we can, we can expect that from Hashem when it comes to our shortcomings, deficiencies, and failings. The second one we talked about was having a direct conversation, which we said is really one of the best tools, but it's a tool that we tend to shrink from because very often it fails miserably. And we end up feeling like we just made a bigger mess of things than perhaps would have been if we had kept our mouths shut. But again, it's a very important tool, and when done correctly, it's probably an incredibly revealing tool in terms of helping people grow and develop themselves, and, you know, we are, so to speak, removing the stumbling block from the blind uh, by allowing people to know where they're going wrong and how they can correct it, and sometimes it's very simple. And then, of course, we said that sometimes when we give tofacha, we don't really like to do it because, you know, we might be afraid that that means we're going to get tofacha back. And, and in general, we're just uncomfortable with it. And then the, then the third point that we talked about was humor. And that was an interesting one in that we, which really is the type of nita that's telling us to lighten up, right? That we tend to get very, very intense about uh, what other people do and people, especially in our circle one, who might do, who are constant offenders, you okay? And do things over and over and over again. And no matter how many times we've told them or, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem to change. And that could be in any of the circles, but specifically in, in circle one and even in circle two with friendships. And basically we have to decide, you know, whether we're going to get really intense about it and take it really seriously or whether we're going to realize perhaps that, uh, what, what was the definition, that you have a sharp eye for the person's uh, deficiency, for the person's inability to understand something, but you don't devalue them. Again, a very difficult thing to do, to see what the problem is but not to devalue them and say, oh, well, that's because you're like this and you're like that. Maybe you understand that, but you understand that this is something that they can't necessarily change. And so you tend, you, you, you don't get as intense and heavy about it as you might have without using this, this tool. And now we're on the tool of emuna. And we talked about the basic idea of emuna is very often when somebody insults, offends, or hurts, hurt us, our primary response is, why, why is he doing this to me? And we look at it as the person, as the one who is doing this to us. And we said that whenever there's a natural disaster in the world, you know, if there's a hurricane or, God forbid, something happens beyond our control, we say, we don't get angry at the hurricane. Right? We don't get angry at the stock market. When it crashes, we understand that it's not the hurricane and it's not the stock market. But when it comes to other people, we don't look behind the other person and bring it back to where it's really com coming from, which again is not, why is he doing this to me? Why is she doing this to me? But why is he doing this to me? Okay? Now again, it doesn't mean that we don't have to deal, like the other tools, with the person in front of us, but it relieves a lot of um, anger and upset when we try to go deeper and look at the bigger picture, and like I said last week, realize that everything that happens to us and all the people in our lives, 
which we've talked about, are all here to help us become greater and better people. They are props. They are props in our lives, as Adrian Gould likes to say, your husband is your homework. Your children are your homework, right? And, you know, she's very, very funny when she gives her little talk on marriage. She said after a few weeks of marriage, she literally woke up one night and was thinking of taking the pillow and smothering her husband. <laughs> you know? But the point is, is, you know, the people in our lives are our homework. And Hashem gives us exactly who we need and what we need in order to be able to develop ourselves. So, so we're going to continue with the idea of, um, and we're going to talk about, you know, if some if someone's there and someone hurts us and insults us, we said too that there's no shidduch unless Hashem allows it. In other words, you know, Hamas can shoot missiles and they can fall into an empty field. But, you know, God forbid when there's a shidduch between the missile and the person, there's nothing a person can do to avoid it, really. And in a sense, when we have a missile coming at us, which could be in the form of another person, it means that there's a shidduch between us and them. And there's and it couldn't happen unless Hashem wants it to happen. So what are the, some of the things that we can gain from introspecting and saying, you know, why is this happening? What are the, some of the answers to the questions, what is he doing to me? Or why is he doing this to me? Now, we may never truly know the answer, okay? We might never really know the answer, but the very exercise of considering different possibilities can help us to reframe the situation. So some of these possibilities include, and I mentioned this before, but we're going to go over it again, that sometimes hurt can facilitate self-awareness, okay? Because the things that hurt us teach us something about ourselves, right? Why does that hurt me? Another person could say it to somebody else, and they don't have any kind of response to it. You know, you can have siblings in the same house, right? And another sibling drove you absolutely crazy. (laughs) You know, you went ballistic with them, and your sibling, like, just didn't react at all. And you're living in the same house with the same people, but you see how differently people are wired. So if something hurts you, or like Rabbi Pliskin in his book, Anger, the Inner Teacher, right? When your feelings are aroused, they're really an incredible opportunity for self-knowledge. Why does this particular thing get my goat? You know, what is it that, 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 that just pricks me in that sensitive spot? And it's amazing how many people in our lives seem to know where that is, right? <laughs> right, without having even, you know, better than we do on some level. But again, it's not intentional very often. It's just because Hashem is telling us this is a place that you need to be attentive to, right? So David HaMelech writes that he was able to listen closely when his enemies attacked. But Kamim Alaymareim Tishmanai Aznai. Even if the encounter was painful, we can often identify some kernel of truth, some aspect of our character that needs improvement. Rav Volba describes one who has self-awareness, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, as standing behind a closed door within earshot of a conversation between his best friend and his worst enemy. So you're standing behind a door and your best friend and worst enemy are discussing you. And he says, the person who has great self-awareness 
isn't affected by the comments of the friend or of the enemy. And this is something I talk a lot about in the class dealing with self-esteem. That somebody who has really good self-esteem, it's not because they don't, it, it's somebody who who knows their faults and their weaknesses, also knows their strengths and their great points, and it's no surprise to them when somebody points out their weakness or somebody praises them for their strength. It doesn't change them in any way. Now that's a very high level. Because we are generally like, you know, ping pong balls. If somebody tells us we're great, we walk around a little bit taller, right? And if the next minute, you know, you step on somebody's foot and they say, you idiot, right? <laughs> you are completely like the balloon that was punctured, right? So that's the way we tend on different levels to walk around. But the person with self-esteem, he says, really good self-awareness, could hear the best friend and the worst enemy talking about them, and they're not affected by the comments of the friend or the enemy because he knows all of his faults, as detailed by the enemy, and he knows all of his virtues as championed by his friend. Any comments? Any insights? Okay. So when we're hurt or insulted by someone, we can try to imagine standing behind that door and reflecting on the comments. Sometimes we may be surprised at the window into ourselves we can create through the hurtful comments of others. Of course, they may be very off base and wrong, the person who's talking about you like this or the person who treats you in this way, but a mature response is tishmono aznai, to consider whether there might be some truth here. I was going to say, so I think I've mentioned this before, one expression I've heard is, be curious, not furious. So instead of getting, mm. a lot of time we get hurt, but sometimes we get really angry. So instead of going to that angry place, be curious, like, you know, what does this mean? Or what am I supposed to learn here? So like with this class, I find... Um, I'll actually go there and I'll say, like, okay, you know, this is not so pleasant. What am I supposed to learn from this? And you can't always do that, but no, when but you it's, can, it's good. Yeah, it's true. I had a test last week and I was thinking, you know, I had been at Lori Palatnik's class where she did this whole thing on, this is a test, right? And I, don't, I think I mentioned it last week. I could, I could sum it up very quickly, but she, she basically said there's four different types of tests. They fall under four different categories. And she, she had the acronym G-CAM, which basically she was saying the G is God and the CAM is camera, that he has a camera on us all the time, and that he's always sending us tests because one of the stories she told is that her daughter came home once at the beginning of the year and said, I'm so excited, I have this great teacher. He announced at the beginning of the year there will be no tests. Right? And of course, she said her kid was happy, but she was furious. What kind of a teacher is this? And he explained to the class, you know, I'm very busy. I'm a professor here. I have this here, so you won't be getting any tests. So the point that she was making is, you know, you want your kid to have tests because how else do you know how you're doing? And how else can you measure? And it shows that you're interested in the person. So she was saying, likening that to Hashem, that Hashem also gives us tests because they're for our benefit. So she said tests basically fall into four categories. The G is, will I be a giver or a taker? Right? And we can all imagine those scenarios, right? Somebody calls us to do something and we had other plans. Or somebody asks us for something and it's just a little more than we're, we're willing to give. Or the time or the money or whatever it is and we extend ourselves. 
okay? Giver or taker. The C is um, connection versus estrangement. A lot of what we've talked about, especially with Hakpada, are we going to choose the world of connection, right? Even though the person's hurt us, even though the person's done something that we are furious about at the moment, are we going to choose the world of connection or are we going to choose the world of estrangement? The A is acceptance or rejection. And that's more for things that are beyond our control. God forbid an illness, you know, a loss, a financial loss, where we can decide to be angry at God at, you know, for whatever time it takes till we get to the secondary response. But one of the tests is, am I going to accept the situation, accept my life, accept what's happened? You know, this is a lot of what this book, The Choice, is about, which I just read by this Holocaust survivor, Dr. Edith Eva Eger. And it's an amazing story because she basically goes back to Auschwitz, which is something... She's a, she becomes a psychotherapist, gets a degree in psychiatry, and she basically helps people who are trauma victims, including so, uh, soldiers in the American army, who of course were some of the ones who rescued her when she was almost completely not alive. So she always, anyway, she talks about the choice of being a victim your whole life or choosing not to be a victim. And you know, she said when people come to her and they say, well, how can I tell you about what happened to me in my life? You went through Auschwitz. What I have to say, whether I was abused or this and that, this is all nothing. And she says, there's no hierarchy when it comes to suffering or pain or having felt victimized. The choice that every person's given is whether or not they're going to feel like a victim. And she literally goes back to Auschwitz. And, I mean, it's pretty intense. And there's some beautiful writings in here, especially at the end. But I was listening to her. You can also listen to her on Oprah Has His Soul Sundays. You heard of that? Oprah, you can get a podcast. Somebody told me about it. I didn't realize I'd already had it on my phone. It's called Soul Sunday with Oprah. And she's got all kinds of people that she interviews. And she's one of them. She's in her 90s. And... It's, it's unbelievable. She says, I leave Auschwitz. I skip out. I pass under the words, Arbat macht frei. How cruel and mocking those words were when we realized that nothing we could do would set us free. But as I leave the barracks and the ruined crematories and the watch houses and the visitors and the museum guard behind me, as I skip under the dark iron letters toward my husband, I see the words spark with truth. Work has set me free. I survived so that I could do my work, not the work the Nazis meant, the hard labor of sacrifice and hunger, of exhaustion and enslavement. It was the inner work of learning to survive and thrive, of learning to forgive myself, of helping others to do the same. And when I do this work, then I'm no longer the hostage or the prisoner of anything. I am free. So she puts a whole new spin on those words that we've always heard, mm -hmm. that work brings freedom, inner work brings freedom, because no matter, and one of the things that she says over and over again is that her mother, her mother's parting words to her, no matter what they do to you, they can never touch what you have in your mind, what you keep in your mind. And that's what kept her going, because she'd always say, 
tomorrow I'm here. I mean, today is the way it is, but tomorrow will be different. And she just kept that kind of mindset. But, you know, one of the things she says in the, in the um, here, here's another one. She says, um, My Jungian therapist taught me something that I find quite comforting, that although it feels like the palette of human feelings is limitless, in fact, every emotional shade, like every color, is derived from just a few primary emotions, sad, mad, glad, scared. And I've heard Sarah Hanna say this, actually. She must, maybe she read this book, Sarah Hanna Radcliffe. For those just learning an emotional, what, okay, so, um, Okay, anyway, it's just the point that she makes is we have a choice, and, and I think that that's the work that we're doing here, that we have a choice, and true freedom is being able to be in control of our responses. And again, even if our primary responses aren't the way we want them to be, to be aware that we have an option, and that we can get to a better secondary response. And that, as Dina Schoonmaker says, the more we practice at the time between the primary and secondary responses can be shorter. Oh, I was saying about my test, right, before all of this. No, whatever, I, I, I realized that I didn't do, I, I didn't think about it until after, meaning I didn't, I, what I should have done, which is what Lori says that she does automatically now, is it's like, red light, alert, this is a test, this is a test, right? Basically, I was coming home. I was exhausted. I was tired. It was, I had just gotten home from a trip and I'd gone to work the next day and I was about to pull into my driveway and it was cold and freezing and somebody was parked in my driveway, a family member, not in a way that you could get into the other side. Even if you could get into the other side, that part wasn't snow, wasn't shoveled, right? And, and for some reason, the, whatever, I, I just thought like, okay, and, and, and I should have said to myself, this is a test. And I didn't come in or do anything wrong, but I didn't realize this was a test. Mm -hmm. And if I had, I might have, let's say, called the person from my car and said, oh, you know, I'm just pulling in now. Do you mind pulling out? As opposed to when I came in, I was a little bit like, hello, could you move your car? And they were like, oh, do you want me to leave? Mm -hmm. And, you know, making me feel like I'm the guilty one because... Like, making me feel, in a way, like, oh, you're making me leave. Like, as opposed to if I had called ahead and said, oh, I'm so sorry. Because obviously, you know, you're coming in, you've got little kids, it's cold out. You want the closest parking spot possible. If I want to be done the cuscous, right? You want the closest part. You got kids screaming in the back. It's hard to park straight, okay? You're just trying to get in alive, right? So there's so many ways I could be done the cuffs and come in with no edge at all. If I had just made that two-minute call ahead, and she would have probably gladly said, oh, I'm so sorry, and moved the car. But I didn't really say this is a test. Let's see what I can do to handle this perfectly. But again, we don't always handle them perfectly. I wasn't terrible. I just went right up to my room and, and, and she eventually left. And, and it was fine the next day. We didn't even talk about it. We didn't really need to. But the point is, and I, and I'm sure she learned that it's not a great idea to do that without even having to talk about it, right? But the point is, is if we can just like, 
like you're saying, be curious, pull back and say, stay above it and say, this is a test. Which one is it? Is it give or taker? Is it accept? Is it connection or estrangement? Many of them are those, right? Many of them are those, especially in our circle one. And let's see what would be the best way for me to handle it. And then you really feel like you've, you've really passed a test, right? You've really passed a test. And hopefully the next time it'll become a groove, like the, the, you know, the plasticity of the brain is true of the plasticity of the neshama or the neshama being uh, in gear before everything else begins to react. I yeah. say too, when you're working on something new, like first, <clears throat> like when you're learning it, like after an incident happens, you'd be like, oh, I should have done that. Then you realize, wow, it's happening. Okay, I'm doing this, but like, and then you realize before. So there's, there's it's also we have to be gentle with ourselves to right. know that it's okay. Like if you're somewhere along that continuum, it's it's a progression. And the other thing too is, is for those of us with children at home, um, they see everything. So can I share a story? Yeah, sure. Okay, please. so... Um, I started making this homemade Caesar salad dressing that's really yummy. And my kids mentioned, you know, Mommy, you don't make anything from scratch. This is really good. No, it's not really true. I don't make nothing from scratch, but I do make Duncan Hines mixes my buy salad dressing. So this is a big deal. So anyways, and they're really enjoying it. And then Rebecca had a friend sleepover, and they decided they wanted Caesar, Caesar salad for brunch. Fine. And then I told Rebecca to please put away the jar, and she said, Oh, it's kind of slippery on the outside. So I said, okay, I'll put it away. And then she says to her friend, that's a good way to get your mom to do everything, you know, to do it for you. So I kind of thought maybe she was joking. Needless to say, I pick up the jar. It smashes everywhere. Oh, yeah. Glass, dressing. And anyways, my son, who's 16, he comes with mommy. I'll help you. Go put on shoes. So he helped me. Anyways, a few hours later... After the friend has gone, after it's all cleaned up, he goes, Mommy, I'm really proud of you. I go, why? Because you didn't freak out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't get really angry. Yeah, you know. And I, mean, I said, well, I really appreciate you coming to help me with the mess. You know, It also helps that it was the first time Rebecca's friend was over. I think we're always on better uh -huh. behavior, like when we feel like someone else is there. Yeah, that's true, too. It's um, amazing how we can hold ourselves in, <laughs> even when just one other person yes. is in the house. It's amazing the self-control yes. and how we could just pass so many tests if you just brought some stranger in the house, right? It's true. <laughs> what is that? How come? It just shows us that shows we can, us. right? Though It's showing us that it's a, there is possibility there. Yes, and they right? say that even That we like, have it in our vocabulary, yeah. but it's just not... It's not like It's like the dark side of the brain or something that never quite the light never quite gets turned on you know yeah. very nice and right? they say that with teaching too like when you let's say you're going to reprimand a child in your class you should imagine i don't know where i read this or i just thought i don't know imagine if the child's parent is right there mm -hmm. how would you be like giving the message over mm -hmm. That yeah, and I think it's also really important uh, on this topic to award yourself for your small successes, even if you didn't do it perfectly. Like something that I did, even going up to my room when I came in, to me that was a success yeah, because I was in touch with my feelings. I knew I was exhausted. I knew that, you know, this was nothing personal, but I just, if I would stay there, I, I would not behave properly. Would, something would inappropriate would come out. So even, you know, banishing myself to my room was a win, was a success, 
because it's part of knowing yourself. And the more you know yourself, you can, you know, you can enlighten other people too around you to say, this is nothing personal. It has nothing to do with you. Don't get, don't get upset about it. It's, it's all about me. It's what I need to do mm -hmm. for myself. And the more we get to know each other and, 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 and not uh, beat ourselves up over those parts of us that need nurturing and care, and, and we're allowed to nurture and care for, we're allowed to say, right now, this is not a good situation for me. I'm going to banish myself or whatever. I'm going to, you know, that's a good way of dealing with it. You know, even if everybody's going, where did she go? You know, like, <laughs> this is something I need to do for me. This is my self-love and my self-care. So that that's what it could be. Did you want to say something, Naomi? Yeah, and of course, I'm also reflecting... Some people are so good at keeping their comments positive. I, maybe I'm too negative, and I apologize. And if it gets that way, please just shut me up. But um, when, when we're talking about relationships, how, okay, how do I get to this? Thought? Okay, I'll say my thought is, and I'm sure maybe it's more obvious how it connects. I just don't forget how it connects. But um, some relationships that you can revisit and revisit, and somehow you always end up being tested. Um, so if you recognize... I think we've given that sort of um, advice before that if you see that, you know, some, some relationships don't have to be, uh, <clears throat> you don't have to look to put yourself in those situations. Um, so I guess that's the balance that I'm sort of looking at. When you've got relationships where you feel like you're always being tested, are you cheating by not putting yourself in that position? Or do you say, mm, today I don't feel like a test, mm, today I do, I'll, I'll, I'll make that phone call today? No, I think it depends. It depends on whether it's a relationship that you are able to dispense with because there's just too many unpleasant things or whether they're ones that you can't you know so that's your you know when it comes to the ones you can't that's what we said about circle one being so difficult but obviously those people who are in our lives are because they're supposed to be there to make us grow you know but again if you can go up to your room or you can avoid situations or tests then you should you know don't put we're not supposed to look for tests right we all know that this is a klal in Jewish uh, philosophy, right? Mm. We're not supposed to look for tests. We're not supposed to ask for tests. The greatest people, David and Melech, were faulted for saying, test me, because they failed, okay? We're not supposed to, you know? On the other hand, we're supposed to recognize that they are part and parcel of life, and certainly our circle one bring us the most, and that we are meant to grow from them. And that's how we develop ourselves, and that's how we become the best that we could possibly be. And these, you know, these people and situations are, again, just Hashem's messengers. It's not, why is he doing this to me? Is what does Hashem want from me? What is it about me that needs tweaking, that needs to grow, that I need to be more self-aware of? Even if it means that I need to know that I, I can go to my room. But and you, even that is a growth. Going to no, room. you shouldn't be forever <laughs> going to your room. Hopefully you'll get better. But yeah. sometimes you have to say to yourself, listen, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm sick, I, I'm getting the flu. Like, get out of here. You know, like, like, be aware. Be aware and be good to yourself. And if everybody else is going, well, what's your problem? Like, you know, so you, let them deal with, that's their, that's their test. <laughs> let them have to deal with that. My husband went. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. My husband recently asked me, "Why do you always tell the truth to the kids? Like, why do you, why do you, no matter 
what you did, like ran through a red light or um, made a really big mistake, and I uh, and my kids will say what happened, and I'll say, oh God, I smashed the car, and I didn't tell Abba yet, and I'm scared to tell him. So I'm very <laughs> forthcoming with my children. That's number one. So I think. For me as a parent and as a teacher, I think the best learning tool is by example. I also think in terms of what you had said, I don't think Hashem wants that. I really honestly don't think Hashem wants you to say, are you testing me? Are you not testing me? I'm not failing. I'm not, I'm not, pa I'm not passing this test. I'm going to pass this test. I don't think you should live on eggshells like that with Hashem. I really think that you, that the, that what Hashem wants from us ultimately is a connection. Well, that is one of the ways like, he connects. That's, that's what Hashem wants. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a dialogue and in dialogues, they can be, happy dialogues they could be sad dialogues they could be angry dialogues sure for sure that's all our tefillahs are those sure. kind of thoughts so mm -hmm. my attitude personally is um a sense of mindfulness like i really like that that whole mindfulness um that mindfulness uh, explosion mm -hmm. really emitted from judaism and and there's another book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really apply that to my life. Like I, I, I know this sounds a little corny, but every step I take, I, I take these steps because this is where Hashem is sending me. So if I see a homeless person on the street, I'll give them money or a sandwich or an apple or whatever. If I see someone really angry at me in the store I just walk away because it's their issue I I just it's like I put I my my mind in my mindfulness my goal is kindness that's my goal I actually took it upon myself this year this Roshana to be very aware of being kind and no matter what the situation is no matter who I see say hello nice to meet you I was at my granddaughter's play last night. I met new people. I made sure to say goodbye to them when I left. It was nice meeting you. I'm very, very conscious of that. And that is where you could find the positive. Because you said sometimes you look at things in a negative light. You mean instead of things coming at you, you, you be go proactive. There. You be in charge you of yourself. Proactive. You be in charge of your that emotions. Could be one of the you can forgive yourself, like you said, for being angry. For saying, oh God, what a witch. Like, <laughs> you, like, be honest with yourself. It's okay. And forgive yourself. It's okay. And, and, and I, I was coming home from my granddaughter's play. I, I cried the whole way home. Like, I was very proud of her, but something set me off in that play. And I was davening and crying the whole way home. And uh, I, this is my relationship with Hashem. Either I cry to him, or I'm angry with him, or I thank him a million times for giving me the closest car. 
parking spot to the mall. <laughs> but it's a right. Well, we are supposed to use all of our all of our emotions, of course. And 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 you know, Hashem knows we're human, right? And we Hashem have, knows we're human. We have many emotions. And listen, it's it's and okay. But if we stay human. angry, right? That's the whole point of primary and secondary. That there are certain emotions that we want to move past. Yes, exactly. And that's the point. So let's go to number two and talk about another another advantage of hurtful experiences. Because what we're trying to do is put a positive spin on how hurtful experiences, which nobody welcomes and nobody wants, could actually be for our benefit. Okay, that's what we're trying to do here, which is counterintuitive. It's not something that, you know, but this is how we put a reframe on... What's going to happen? Which are there are going to be a lot of hurtful experiences. So the second idea is that hurtful experiences can build our emotional resilience. Naturally, the experience doesn't feel very building, but the process of becoming stronger always involves difficulty. There's a saying, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it will make you stronger, yes. right? So the idea is, if this yes, painful experience... Kelly Clarkson. I was yes. just singing okay, it in my go. head. Yes. <laughs> right. And these, of course you'd know that too. <laughs> right. And we don't What's have, my excuse? <laughs> yeah. We don't have to call them tests if we don't like that word, but we can call them difficult experiences, okay? Mm-hmm. And oh, I didn't mean to contradict no, you at no, all. No, you're not contradicting, but I'm saying that oh, word okay. could maybe... Not it's all the right. same thing. It is. No, I'm saying there are other synonyms for synonym. that word. Exactly. There are other synonyms. So let's call it difficult experiences, okay? So um, so we said moving past these difficult situations helps reduce our sensitivity so that we become less affected by the comments or actions of others. So again, if we sort of hone in on what it is that that person seems to say all the time, that tickles our not funny bone, okay? Triggers. Yeah, triggers, <laughs> those triggers, right? And we can sort of not respond or self-talk ourselves into saying, this is that person's issue, right? I should laugh. I should laugh instead of feel pain. I should realize this person is insensitive or doesn't get it or is go- is wired this way or whatever right or done or this or that but the point is is that i don't um that i i sorry hold on one sec my train of thought i don't get overly stimulated by the comment anymore because i already know that i already i already I already know it's about them, number one, but also I maybe because I use it to again look inward and say if this is affecting me in a certain way, what do I need to learn about myself? And I I become more resilient in other words so that when I hear it again, it's 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 my work. It's not about them. Okay? Let me just go on because Hopefully this will help me hone in on this more. Okay. The third idea is that a hurtful experience can also sensitize us to the pain of others. When we're on the receiving end of the hurt, we can better understand the things that trigger negative feelings. So again, it could be a way of us sensitizing ourselves to the fact that, you know what, 
I probably make insensitive remarks sometimes. I probably say things because why is this person always react mm -hmm. to my comment in a very emotional way or seemingly upset way? I didn't mean anything by it. I was just saying what I think. You know, I was just saying what's obvious. Okay, but maybe I can become more aware that if I see another person reacting to what I think is just an innocent comment, well, I don't know what their triggers are. You know, it could be a past life, it could be childhood, it could be whatever it is. And maybe they aren't able to say to me, you know, I really, that for whatever reason, that comment always gets me going. Or I know it to you, it's just a neutral comment, but for me, it's triggering, it's charged, right? So one of the things that we can learn is to avoid ourselves making similarly hurtful or insensitive comments to others. Now on a more spiritual level, this is a beautiful idea and it will help us hopefully um, recognize that Hazel tell us that when a person's insulted and doesn't answer back, it is really an incredible gift. It's actually, I always say to people, it's like a mini Yom Kippur without fasting and going to shul, right? <laughs> Which is really a great opportunity because a person who's insulted and doesn't answer back, it says that it's all of their averas are forgiven, mm -hmm. right? But more than that, it says that um, the entire world exists for such a person, that the sun rises every day for people like that, and that the world hangs on somebody who is, uh, it says, bolam piv bisha'as mariva, someone who keeps their mouth silent at the time of conflict. That ability, that gavura, that ability to restrain oneself at the moment is considered such greatness, again, that while you're doing that, if you can do it, you should be saying to yourself, thank you, Hashem, you are ridding me of every Avera. I'm getting a free Yom Kippur. I'm newborn. I'm rebirthed, you know, and isn't this a great opportunity just by keeping my mouth shut right now? Okay, so if we can hold that idea in our minds, it's a wonderful tool for recognizing that Hashem is actually giving us a gift. We're also told that people who are insulted and don't answer back, and there's many, many stories, <laughs> that they are worthy of blessing others. And their blessing is very, very powerful. And there are people who would seek out somebody who was insulted. There's a story, I don't remember the particulars of it, but some wedding where somehow the mother of somebody was not welcome to the wedding, if you could imagine. I don't know what the family dynamics were. But anyway, she came, of course, anyway, and was totally embarrassed at the wedding, in the circle of dancing, to leave. And I think she started to leave, and somebody ran up to her and said, could you bless me now? Because, wow, yeah, I mean, this was one of the stories that she tells, which was a true story. And, and other stories of people who, you know, when they've been in a situation where they've seen somebody insulted, will turn to that person who was insulted, who didn't answer back and say, give me a blessing. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Okay? That's beautiful. Yeah. So there is a tremendous power to that. It says, the whole world is said to stand on the merit of one who keeps his mouth sealed at the time of conflict. Stories abound about the power of tefillah, 
of one who is insulted in public and doesn't respond. We can use the painful experience to daven for ourselves or for others and transform the experience into something deeply beneficial. Okay, another idea. Okay, next one. Another benefit of being insulted or hurt is that the vulnerability itself fosters greater dependence on and closeness to Hashem. Okay, so instead of turning to the other person and wanting to give it to them, what we can practice doing out of that vulnerability and like, oh my God, this person just doesn't get me. I mean, we know that the only one who really understands us and our motivations is the one above. How often are we in situations where we do something and we know for ourselves it was done out of the most sincere, you know, positive aspect, but for some reason the other person didn't appreciate it, didn't see it that way. And one thing that we can always say to ourselves is, you know what, and quiet, you know, you know what, Hashem, I know that you, you know, I know that my self-worth ultimately, our self-worth comes from Hashem. Our self-worth cannot be based on other people, on things which are transitory, on other people and how they, what they think of us, right? There are people who spend their entire lives trying to, to win the self-approval of others. You know, and we're all kind of wired that way. It's, it's almost like part of the childlike part of us that always wants to please our parents, right? Which is a good thing, but unfortunately, gone awry, a person can become a people pleaser, right? The kid who, <clears throat> you know, behaved extra special because their house was bedlam all the time and they were trying always to settle everything down. Like I used to always joke when my mother would get angry, my sister would run to the piano and play for three hours. It was like, will you stop playing piano already? <laughs> But it was like, everything is wonderful. Everything is you know, it's like the, the kid who's trying to like, you know, get, regain order and, you know, but, but you know, it, it can turn into, and it's at its most monstrous, right? Into being one of those people who thinks that, you know, if I just do this, everything yeah. will be fine. Everything will be people, you know? And so we have to, we have to recognize that our self-worth ultimately and absolutely and truthfully can only come from Hashem. And that's why a person knows that, you know what, if I'm doing the right thing, if I did the right thing, maybe other people don't know it or realize it or whatever. And a lot of times, right, the hidden Sadiq, the anonymous people, the guy who every, everyone thought was the biggest miser in town, mm -hmm. right, but he was secretly giving and mm -hmm. supporting the whole town and they right. bur bury him in the, mm -hmm. you know, dumps of the cemetery and nobody attends his funeral, right? We all yes. know that Hasidic yes. story, mm -hmm. okay? But... You know, that's an extreme story, but anywhere along the continuum of that, there are times in our lives where we have to look up and say, you know, you know Hashem, and that's all that really counts, right? I'm sure, uh, you know, Rubashkin, when he was in jail, whatever the story is, you know, but he he said that to himself over and over again. He knew that, and that was the only way he could survive in jail, right, is to be able to say, whatever is going on around me, I know that I did the best and what what I did was straight and good, okay? Because how else can you survive in your mind and come out intact without having that relationship? 
So when we're insulted or hurt, we're told that uh, one of the ways we can deal with it is to take that vulnerability and turn towards Hashem. Um, because unfortunately, we're less likely to turn to Him when we feel successful and on top. Right? We're more likely to turn to Hashem when we feel vulnerable and exposed and ashamed and hurt and at the bottom of our game if such a situation appears. So when a person has crushed us or, you know, and we feel very low, the time to use that vulnerability is the time to turn to Hashem. So we can use it like that. Finally, the situation itself and our reaction to it what we said earlier, can teach us a great deal about ourselves. From the things that trigger us, we learn about our own history and our own needs. Many people have experienced earlier traumas in their lives. The capital T traumas, the big ones, and the lowercase t traumas. When these unpleasant experiences go unprocessed, they often sit in the subconscious and appear at various intervals in response to different stresses. So we know that we have things, you know, you know, you, you have siblings, you have parental things as a child, right? There was a great author who said, anybody who survived childhood can write a book, okay? And you know Rabbi Rietti's, thing, Rietti's uh, definition of a dysfunctional family? The definition of a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one member. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Okay, so, you know, we all have stuff from our childhood that people trigger, and especially the people in our circle one. You know, your husband can sometimes remind you of your brother, you know, or or somebody in the family that that created the same kind of responses and feelings in you, right? And a child can remind you of, you know, who knows who, a parent, a, a something that was not, that was there was never any closure to as a child. Because again, as a child, a lot of things that we understood, we didn't really understand. But the hurt and the wound from it are still there, even though we didn't know what was going on because we had a child's mind and we couldn't process it with any kind of intelligence. And yet those hurts and those misunderstandings are still there. And sometimes things that happen to us and people come along and touch those areas that are still painful. So when these unpleasant, okay, so we said this, when someone notices what triggers an emotionally intense response, especially if it is something that does not similarly trigger others, talked about that, this can be a flashlight into an earlier trauma. The hurt somehow brings to the surface or reminds us of the unprocessed trauma when we notice our heightened emotional responses, we can ask ourselves, what in my personal history may be unresolved? By doing this, we can come to a greater understanding of ourselves. Okay, in anger, the inner teacher, Rabbi Zelig Pliskin, explains that anger is a window into our needs. So when we find ourselves offended or muckpeed, it can be one of Hashem's ways to communicate to ourselves what our needs are so that we may learn to seek them in a positive way or squarely address them. For example, we can discover our need to be treated fairly, to be perfect, to feel appreciated, to appear right, 
to be independent, to be in control, for privacy, for space. Often it takes a charged situation to discover the unmet need. Then the need can be addressed in a wide variety of situations beyond the ones that we struggled with. With awareness of the need, we can learn to be more sympathetic to ourselves and proactively ensure that the need is met. Okay, and that's really the final idea. But, you know, for me, and, you know, to be personal, one of the things that I know is, you know, our home was very stimulating. The home I grew up in was a very stimulating environment, you know. And, 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 and for some reason, when I would become overstimulated, I would really, like, lose it. And, you know, my little sister, who was in the same overstimulated home, I don't know what she did. Maybe she knew how to go into her room and lock the door or play piano, whatever she did, right? But, you know, we even joke, like, I had two brothers above me, and unfortunately one of my brothers was Nifter, but at the Shiva we had a lot of, you know, at the Shiva you learn a lot when you're sitting with your siblings, how you all lived in the same house. You know, so I used to joke that, you know, before my younger brother was born, there were four kids. So two boys shared a room, and it had like a sliding door, so you had your own space. And two girls shared the room. But then when my younger brother was born, who he said, you must have been a mistake. No, whatever, the house was said, they built the house like that. Whatever. You know, suddenly he got to be in the room with my younger sister, and I got moved to the guest room. Now, the guest room was by my two older brothers, okay? And I would say, I don't know which guest would survive over there, okay? But I was moved to the guest room, which was considered a real, you know, perk, because I had my own room, etc., etc. But meanwhile, like at the Shiva, we were joking because I said, I don't understand. I said, I just moved down the hall, but I was living in Harlem now. <laughs> okay? And you were still living in, like, you know, in Forest Hill, right? Like, what's going on here? Right? But the difference of perspective, even in the same house. And, and I think one of the things that has taken me time to learn is that if, if there's too much going on around me, like, I, I need to know that I need to leave. And that's okay. And that it's okay that I shouldn't beat myself up at, what's wrong with you, you know? Why are you leaving? Stay here, right? But know that I need that privacy, right? I need that time. I need, I, there's only a certain amount of stimulation I can take. Listen, I'm sure everybody has their max, right? But some people need to know that maybe mine is different than other people's. And that's okay. And that's called... You know, again, getting what you need. So we're just going to end with this last <clears throat> summary. When our focus remains on the interpersonal, on why did you do this to me? How could you do that to me? How dare you speak to me like that, right? Not only does our resentment continue to gnaw, but we, we may also be missing an important message that Hashem is sending us. When we can find the redeeming value, when we get the memo, not only does the Hakpada dissipate, but we can become better Ovde Hashem. And that's, uh, I think that's, we've covered a lot today. I don't know what time it is. But, 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 but,